podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello, producer Gar here. Uh, just to pop in before the pod, this was recorded on Saturday. Um, anyone who's listened to Daily Red with Davey, he mentioned that this was recorded. Uh, just wanted to pop this in here, uh, so it's not a reaction to the uh, John Henry interview thing he did today, but I don't want it to be a wasted podcast. Just a bit of uh, context before. But they do discuss um, the potential of it just being a minor investment rather than a full sale. So it's still a relevant podcast, but I thought I'd just jump in before the show. But enjoy the show, people. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. I'm Mo Chapter, and welcome to another episode of Money Talks. And uh, back again to discuss a topic that's been... Um, very much in the news amongst not only Liverpool fans, but even amongst um, fan bases of rival clubs, and that is about uh, potential takeover. And um, who better to discuss this heavy subject with than a man that needs no introduction? He is the one and the only Mr. Dave Hendrick. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, mate. I'm sure there would be better people to discuss this with, but I am very glad to be here. No, always more than welcome here on Money Talks. And uh, like I say, we, we've got um, yeah some very interesting stuff to talk about regarding the ownership situation and potential sale, whether it's an outright sale or a minority stake being sold. Um, that obviously relates to Liverpool Football Club, but also um, very much in the news, um, as we recall this, is the fact that officially there have been two bids made for the rivals for Liverpool, and they are Manchester United, and those bids have come in from um, the Ineos group, headed by uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who's um, reportedly a lifelong Manchester United fan, multi-billionaire, as well as um, a Qatari group, and um, uh, basically part of the uh, ruling family. And um, you know they made their intention known uh, shortly before the. 10 p.m. deadline um, on Friday, the 17th of February, as we recall this. And um, I think it was just around the deadline of 10 p.m., which has been referred to as a soft deadline that Ineos then um, came out with their press release um, to talk about how they would be um, very much a British-focused um, ownership group, um, trying to differentiate themselves clearly from um, the group in Qatar. So, you know, United fans um very excited, uh, fair to say, about this. Mm-hmm. Um, though obviously a lot of um, varying opinions like there is ha- and has been amongst Liverpool fan base, uh, the fan base, in terms of 
types of owners. So with the United fans, um, certainly a split in terms of whether they would or wouldn't want to welcome Qatari money um, and those that wouldn't um, certainly favour Ratcliffe, whereas those who are um, less bothered about um, certain types of wider issues um, are very keen on um, seeing the Qataris come in. What do you make of this situation, Dave? And especially given that when you were last on, um, money talks. Um, you were dubious about whether the Glazers wanted to sell at all, and I remain dubious about whether they actually want to sell or not. I, I think that if you look at what they've done, they announced their desire to sell, yeah, which falsely inflated the share price of Manchester United by a significant amount, and. Their asking price is based on that falsely inflated share price. And it wouldn't surprise me if what they end up doing is simply selling a minority stake. I know they've had these two bids, but here's where I land on these two bids. Yasim bin Hamad El Thani is the uh, Qatari gentleman in question. Uh, my belief is that he is the... He is the chairman of a bank in Qatar. And he is the one who is looking to to make this happen. If I Google his net worth, it tells me he's worth 1.3 million, 1.3 billion US dollars. If he has bid... 4 billion or 4.5 billion US dollars, which is what has been suggested, I think that raises significant questions over where that money would come from. Now, we all know where that money would come from, but surely Mm. when the Premier League themselves sit down to assess him as a fit and proper owner, that draws into question links to the Qatari state. And if we remember the Newcastle bid, got held up over links to the Saudi state, even though it was very clear the PIF are controlled by Saudi and they had billions behind them, more than enough to take on that venture. This gentleman does not have the money to take on this venture, not by himself, not by a long shot. So you do have to wonder what would happen if push came to shove over that bid. Jim Ratcliffe, on the other hand, is worth 15.2 billion US dollars. Now, most of that is obviously shares in Ineos, but he he can more than easily afford to buy Manchester United through his company or by selling shares in his company and using his personal wealth from there. The thing that gets me, Mo, though, is it was widely reported that the Glazers' asking price is 6 billion, in the region of 6 billion pounds. Both of these bids come in roughly two billion below that asking price. Yeah. So are they real bids? Are they tire kicking expeditions? We know Jim Ratcliffe has spoken to them, to the Glazers before. He's openly said he spoke to them in August, he spoke to them in January. And he didn't get the feeling that they wanted to sell on either occasion. So I don't really know what the Glazers are trying to accomplish. But what I do know is that whoever buys United, 
is also going to have to take on significant debt that sits on the club right now. That's over 500 million. They have to take on a massive infrastructure overhaul, potentially a new stadium, if not likely somewhere in the region of six to seven hundred million in renovation costs for Old Trafford. Uh, a new training ground because Carrington is years out of date. A new academy facility. Both of those could run into the you know fifty to sixty million pound range. So you're realistically talking about asking someone to pay somewhere between four and six billion for the the club, another five hundred plus million to clear the debt. Let's say another billion for infrastructure because they've also got to sort out the women's facilities. Yep. It's all starting to add up. That's before you tackle the fact that their accounts are also a mess because they've got all this transfer debt just looming over them. And that's before you take into account the mess in the on the pitch. You know, I know they're third and everybody's very excited, but they're playing the same football that Ollie played. There's nothing to really be excited about. Oli beat PSG away. That was more impressive than drawing with this Barcelona team. So this idea that Ten Hag is a genius and that he's changed things just simply isn't true. They are miles away from winning anything. The title looks closer this year because City have been poor, were a mess, Chelsea are a mess, and Spurs just don't, can't get out from under their own feet. But you're talking about significant investment needed on the pitch as well which obviously the Qataris could do, but this guy doesn't have the money. This guy, Yasim yeah. bin Hamad El Tani, doesn't have the money. And and is Ratcliffe going to want to take on all of that and do all of that? I'm not sure he is. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think that in terms of um, his wealth, as you noted earlier, his, um, the, the, the vast majority of that wealth is actually paper wealth effectively it's what his company is largely worth it's not as if he has you know many many billions sat in the bank just um drawing interest um you know his his wealth is largely tied up in his assets and uh i think that is where if you are a united fan you'd have to be slightly concerned because yes i mean he i think he or his company have noted that um you know, any debt that may be incurred in terms of bringing finances in to purchase the club and also to then fund um, the works to infrastructure to clear the existing debt um, would ultimately still have to be paid somehow. 
Um, you know, if, if um, say, for example, um, the total investment that is required into United for the purchase price, infrastructure improvements, wiping out the current debt, potentially dealing with a significant chunk of the transfer debt, which is over 300 million. Um, and just say for the sake of argument, you get up to about, say, 6.5 billion pound. And if Ratcliffe only has a couple of billion available to put down of his own money and then has to borrow 4.5 billion, that on its own, even with the most favorable terms that he can manage, is still going to be drawing interest payments of at least 100 million a year. So yeah. is he really going to be paying that kind of money or will he look to um, Manchester United to um, fund a bulk of that or even the whole lot? And if that is the case, then United are, if anything, in a worse off position than they currently are now. So, I mean, yes, I know that there are a lot of United fans quite excited about the prospect of Ratcliffe coming in. But I don't think it would be quite as attractive as they first think it is once they actually start to realise that actually, you know, the six, seven billion pounds that is required in total is money that Ratcliffe doesn't have. And as you noted as well, um, you know, the chat from Qatar, Alfani doesn't have that either. So he also would need to draw on that money from somewhere. And whether that is the government of Qatar, the ruling family, whoever, um, they almost certainly would seek some return at some point. And so, therefore, again, um, it's not something that um, comes without any kind of catches or caveats. See, but, this is the thing. Like, people talk about, oh, well, look at Newcastle, look at you, look at City. Very yeah. different situations there because, number one, both of those clubs cost, what, 250, 300 million? Yep. So there's an initial saving of 4 billion on the asking price of United. And those clubs, the Newcastle owner hasn't done anything in terms of infrastructure yet. He, he might get to that down the line. Much cheaper to do that in Newcastle, though, than in Manchester. City don't own their own stadium. It's owned by the city of Manchester. So, yes, they've paid for upgrades to it. Yes, they've built the Etihad um, complex, which is fantastic. But much, much different situation. Neither of those clubs had huge amounts of debt. You could have bought both Newcastle and Manchester City at the prices that, Qatar, that Saudi and Abu Dhabi paid for just the debt that sits on Manchester United. Like, that's mm. where it's different. Now... The one thing I will say about the Qataris is we know it will be a sports washing venture, okay? So so let's let's put that on the table. It's 100% a sports washing venture, no matter who they buy. However, I've seen people say, and this I think is a very silly argument, there's obviously some Liverpool fans that would be in favour of Qatari uh, ownership at Liverpool. And people have said, oh, but look at Man City. They've just been caught cheating. They've had to cook their books and PSG have done the same. And yes, that's true. Liverpool and Manchester United wouldn't need to cook their books. They wouldn't need to cheat 
at that industrial level because they already make that level of money. You, mm. City are cheating to try and bridge a gap. Liverpool don't have a gap to bridge other than in terms of owner investment in the club. But we've talked yeah. about this before. So that that argument that you know those people from any country would come in and need to cook the books at United to make them look like a commercial powerhouse just isn't true. They're a commercial powerhouse already and have been since the 90s. Same with Liverpool since, you know, the the 2010s. But I just find the whole thing very, very strange. Like, I, I did some research on this um, Sheikh Jassim bin, bin Hamed Al Thani last night. So his father was the prime minister of Qatar and I believe brother of the then Emir of Qatar. Yeah. And he became wildly popular with the people of Qatar, far more so than the Emir. And he gained significant political power from that popularity. And the reason the Emir abdicated in favour of his son was to shift that power base back to the the ruling family as opposed to the extended royal family. And when the new emir took over, this guy's father was basically forced out as prime minister. And according to what I could find online, now again, it's, you know, it's news reports, it's some of it is just theories. There isn't the best relationship between the current emir and this gentleman who wants to buy Manchester United. So could that lead to conflict somewhere down the line if he has to borrow significant money from the Qatari Investment Authority, which the emir oversees? And could that then lead to some sort of power struggle where United becomes a pawn in a game? Mm. And just on on that subject, um, (laughs) there's clearly been immense amount of speculation about whether there is some group from Qatar, whether it's the Investment Authority of Qatar, QIA, or somebody else, um, interested in Liverpool. And uh, whether that group is separate to Althani or... It was this one and the same. Um, that, that's yet to be established. But uh, it'd be interesting if it was two separate groups. And um, if he, this Althani, is looking to complete a takeover at United, whilst another um, group from Qatar, who might be related to him, um, might be looking to take over Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, there's been some very questionable reporting on the whole subject. Yeah. Um, but it has been made quite clear that the group who allegedly, because we can't confirm it, allegedly have met with FSG and discussed buying Liverpool, that that is a separate group. That is the actual QIA. So oh. Liverpool being taken over by them would be the equivalent of Newcastle being taken over by the PIF. Yes. Um, and, you know, if that were the case, Liverpool would clearly be getting 
far greater financial muscle behind them than whatever this gentleman is is capable of providing. Because if the QIA are funding one club, they're very unlikely to also fund another, although they, they do clearly fund PSG through the QSI. Um, I don't know. Like They're looking to sports wash. Ineos via Jim Radcliffe are looking to greenwash because they, as a company, the industry they're in, petrochemicals, mm. they are yeah. causing immense amount of damage to our environment, to our future. And this would be potentially a way for them to, you know, shine their name up a little bit. But I do believe if Jim Radcliffe is successful, it will be the company that buys them and not him. Um, which is similar to obviously the Tottenham Hotspur situation where, yes, Joe Lewis technically and is the owner, but they're owned by, is it Inic, uh, the Inic Group, the English yes. National Investment Company? That's yeah. the, 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 the vehicle of, of Joe Lewis, um, which it's, a, it's an odd thing for a, a company, a business, to own an English football club as opposed to this traditional situation where an individual owns it. And even though Jim Radcliffe would be the owner as he is the owner of Ineos, uh, you'd imagine the the board of directors at Ineos would have considerable say in expenditure at Manchester United. If mm. Ineos are the ones who are going to be underwriting these things. And, and like you said, if they're the ones that are going to have to seek loans and other investment, that's obviously going to come down to what the board of directors at Ineos have to say. They're they're not going to green light a billion quid for a new stadium just on a whim because Jim Radcliffe wants to, if it's not in the best interest of Ineos, the company. Yeah, yeah. This is it. And, um, you know, it's it's one of these uh, kind of interesting situations in that, Again, if if the Glazers are really looking to dip their toe in the water and just see, okay, is anyone foolish enough to come along and offer the asking price that we have set? Um, then obviously they'll you know snap their hand off. But um, if that's not the case, um, there might certainly be some negotiation to be had to sell a minority stake. And even that minority stake might result in, I don't know, a billion coming in, uh, perhaps for 25, 30% of United, mm. maybe slightly less of a share. But obviously, the Glazers could still, um, you know, split that amongst themselves and, uh, you know, enjoy, enjoy that return. And obviously, that would be their biggest return um, coming out of United since they first came in to the club somewhat 18 years ago now is it was it 2005 2005 Uh, awful long time so um yeah that that i think is still in my view the more likely option even obviously at the moment united fans are very excited um about the possibility of um a, a full takeover but i think like you know you've just explained when you start looking beneath the surface um with both parties um it's not quite as rosy as it might have seemed um, initially. So um, don't get uh, don't get too excited, United fans, just yet. Um, 
because uh, there's plenty that could still happen. Um, but let, let's change um, subject then uh, to Liverpool. Um, so, like, you know, I've just touched on, um, you know, there have been links with Qatar, but there's also been a lot of talk, Dave, that, um, you know, FSG might be looking to sell um, to a different type of owner. And um, one of the groups um, that, you know, you mentioned um, when you were on here last time and a group that keeps on being mentioned, um, it, it, the name just doesn't go away, is HBSE, mm. Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. And um, do you think that there is some mileage to that link, to that rumour that, um, you know, they are still there talking behind the scenes with FSG and if anything might be the more likely option in terms of a potential uh, new group taking over the club? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think they're potentially open to a multitude of, of, of avenues into the club, um, one of which could be that they buy the club outright. Yeah, I think they can certainly put the money together with the likes of Apollo Global and Blackstone being the vehicles behind them. Apollo Global is the company of which Josh Harris is one of the founding members. And Blackstone is the company that David Blitzer is um, involved with. So those are two huge investment vehicles who could absolutely uh, fund the, the purchase of Liverpool in a similar way to how Chelsea were bought by Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital. I, I see people doing the usual stupid thing of just Googling the net worth of Josh Harris and David Blitzer or, or Googling the net worth of HBSE and announcing straight away, well, they don't have the money to buy us and not looking at the broader picture, which is that they won't be putting their own money into this. They will be using those investment vehicles in the same way Chelsea used Clear Lake, in the same way Harris and Blitzer had looked to buy Chelsea. Uh, you also see a lot of nonsense about, oh, well, they, it was it was deemed they weren't good enough to buy Chelsea. That isn't the case at all. They merely wouldn't agree to some of the ridiculous terms that Roman Abramovich had put into the purchase, um, terms that Bowley was more than happy to because Bowley's an idiot and doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, you just need to look at things like the recent... Uh, reports and rumours coming out of the club with regards to him being asked, well, how are you going to finance all this spending? And him saying, well, we're in the Champions League every year, so we have that money. And then finding out afterwards that Chelsea don't just automatically get a spot in the Champions League. Um, so Harrison Blitzer could look to buy the club outright with that that backing from Apollo Global and and Blackstone. The other option would be that they... They just buy a minority stake. I think that's very much a possibility. And then the third option would be that they buy a minority stake now with an agreement that they increase that minority stake each year moving forward. And in, say, four to five years, they take on a majority stake of the club. Um, and Because that's something that's currently happening with my Minnesota Timberwolves, where... The, the long-time owner decided he wanted to sell, but he wanted to be very careful about who he sold to. He wanted to make sure 
that the Timberwolves will be kept in Minneapolis because obviously with US franchises, they can be moved on a whim. And he went out and he found Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player. And they are currently in the process of year by year buying an increased stake um, from Glenn Taylor. And eventually they will own the franchise. So there is something like that that could happen. Yeah. And I think I think HBSE would be open to any of those options, really. And there's already been some rumors out of Crystal Palace that John Texter, uh, current minority owner of Palace, would be more than happy to buy out Harrison Blitzer from their stake. Um, yeah. I had hoped he might be involved in a move for Liverpool. I thought I was hoping that they'd bring him along with, with them. And that's just, you know, more money, more knowledge, more more football now because he's been involved in the game for quite a while now. He's just bought Leon recently as well. I had hoped he might be involved, but it looks like he wouldn't be. But yeah, I think Harrison Blitzer are, are one group that would make sense, and particularly for a minority investment, which they could easily put together. But I know a minority investment is not what fans want right now, or not what a lot of fans want. Mm. Uh, well, absolutely. And um, that, that's why with that particular situation. So if they, if they were to come in, do you think there is perhaps another scenario involved where um, others could join Harrison Blitzer mm. um, to perhaps leverage uh, at, at the least a majority um, stake purchase from FSG? So even if they're still there, um, perhaps owning, I don't know, 30 to 40%, Others then come in um, on top of Harrison Blitzer um, to carry out a, a, a kind of a takeover of sorts. Um, so if, if that were to happen, who, who do you think might be good strategic partners to join with Harrison Blitzer? So I've, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. You know, I'm a huge fan of, of the way Bayern Munich operate. Yeah. I think they're the best run club in Europe. I think you you never hear stories of Bayern in financial trouble. You know, they might have some shortages some years, but you never hear of Bayern having financial trouble. Yeah. And the reason for that is the way Bayern are structured. So everybody knows about the 50 plus one in Germany, which has its major downflows and has created, obviously, a very uneven playing field with Bayern miles ahead of everybody else. But the reason Bayern are miles ahead of everybody else is because of how Bayern are set up. So Bayern have a supervisory board, which is made up of Herbert Heiner, who is the president of Bayern Munich. It's made up of a member from Adidas, a member from Audi, a member from Alliance, a member from T-Mobile or Dutch Telecom, as it's known over there. And those are long term strategic partners of Bayern Munich, Adidas, Audi, Alliance and T-Mobile. Yeah. And now, I again, I, I haven't confirmed this, but from what I've been able to deduce from, you know, some investigative work on the interwebs, each of those companies own a stake in Bayern Munich. 
Well. Adidas, Audi, Alliance, and Dutch Telecom. Think about it this way, Mo. When was the last time you heard about Bayern Munich extending their shirt sponsorship with T-Mobile? Doesn't happen. No. You never hear about them extending the naming rights deal for the stadium with Alliance. You never hear about them potentially changing kit manufacturers. You never hear about the training ground potentially being renamed from the Audi sponsorship and the the different things with them. And my belief is that that's what the situation is there, that those companies have purchased stakes in that club and that they are not just, you know, commercial partners and strategic partners, they're strategic investors in Bayern Munich Football Club. And I, yeah. I did wonder, could we do something similar? So let's, Let's just say we take 100% of Liverpool and let's say Harris and Blitzer buy 10% now with the potential agreement that in three to four years, they own up to 50% of the club. Okay? Yeah. So that's 50% of the club. That leaves FSG with 50% of the club. Well, what if they sold 10% to Nike? Because there has been some rumours that Nike are very, very interested in buying into a football club and using that football club as as a vehicle for their brand and putting the full force of their commercial department behind that club. So what if that was us on a 10% stake? And then what if Standard Chartered did the same? Another company we've long had a relationship with, we've had Standard Chartered on the front of our shirts for, what, a, a decade now? Um, More? 2010, even before came in. So they're a long-term partner of the club. They can, they've got huge financial muscle, obviously, behind them. Yeah. And then say, what if AXA were to buy 5% of the club? And let's say Expedia, who are the shoulder sponsor, whatever, what if they bought 5% as well? Mm. Like, there's another 30% of the club. So that would be 10% to Harrison Blitzer and 30% to those four strategic investors, commercial investors, if you want. Well, that's 40% of the club. And then if Harrison Blitzer can work an arrangement that they will take on another 40% in four years, five years, whenever, and FSG can still retain a 20% ownership, for the short term, they'd have a 60% ownership, and a long term, they'd have a 20% ownership. So they'd still get to be involved. Yeah. Now, I was kind of looking at, like, how would that work? What, what would you, how would you price that? So let's just say the club is worth $4 billion. Well, 5% mm. of the club then would be worth 200 million. So 200 million from Expedia, 200 million from AXA, 400 million from Standard Chartered, 400 million from Nike, 400 million from Harris and Blitzer. Well, that's a lot of money. That's 1.6 billion for basically a 40% stake in in, in the club. But rather than getting one investor in, we have five investors in who all bring different things to the table, but all of them, bar Harrison Blitzer, 
mostly bring the potential for real commercial growth. Like, I mean commercial growth unseen in the footballing sphere before. One of the biggest sports brands in the world, one of the biggest banks in the world, one of the biggest insurance companies in the world, and easily the biggest travel company in the world. If those groups could come together, if FSG could work out something like that, I do think the club would end up in a very healthy position. Now, like I said, it's 1.6 billion. Now, the purpose of minority investment would be to put money into the club. You would hope and you would imagine. So if if 1.6 billion comes in the door, let's say FSG pocket half of that. Let's say they take... 800 million and put that in their pocket and say, right, that's ours. That's a near three time return on what they initially put into the club to buy it. So Mm. they're already quids in and they still own 60% of the club. They still have a 2.4 billion pound stake in the club with maybe the, the guarantee that Harris and Blitzer take up another 40%. So that's another 1.6 million that will go directly to them. So they'd have 2.4 and 20% left or whatever way it works, whatever way you'd want it to work. Yeah. That would leave one point, sorry, that would leave 800 million to go into the club, to go into the first team, not in one go. I'm not saying we go and we blow it all, but, if they were to say, right, it's 800 million, we're going to split that over four years. It's going to be 200 million, 200 million, 200 million, 200 million, plus whatever the club generates themsel- itself in that time yeah. on top of that. I kind of feel like that's a really healthy way for the club to run. I feel like it's really sustainable. And then FSG can look at it and say, right, well, when we sell the next chunk to Harrison Blitzer, We take all of that money and then any future investment becomes their responsibility because with 50% of the club, they're the biggest stakeholder and they're the ones now responsible for investment. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I I sort of feel like something like that, bringing us to a different type of ownership model, one that you don't see in England, but would be similar to what the most, well, the best run club in Europe have done. I kind of feel like, I know people will say, well, it's not really realistic, but why isn't it realistic? Like, why would that not be realistic that that's something they could do? It doesn't have to be those four companies. 
It doesn't have to be Nike, but it makes sense. It doesn't have to be Standard Chartered, but it makes sense. Yeah. AXA and Expedia, they make sense. We've already got these long-term, Expedia less so because they're only in the door and AXA's not a long-term partner, but they've already made it clear they want this to be a long-term partnership. Yeah. So why not? Why couldn't FSG do something like this? And even if it was over a period of a couple of years, say Harrison Blitzer by 10% this year and Nike by 10% this year, and maybe next year they sell the other 20% to those other three companies. Why couldn't we do something like that? Is there? Is, am I mental? Is there any reason that couldn't be accomplished? Well, the short answer is no. Um, no, I think you've just set out a very interesting model, um, obviously one that we haven't seen here, um, but it's clearly very, very successful um, for buying. And I think there are, you know, based on what you've just set out, several different angles to it. So I just want to um, look at one of them and we'll move on to the others as well. But the first of those is is commercial revenue, which you touched on earlier. Now, interestingly, Bayern Munich generate the biggest genuine commercial revenue of any football club in the world. £320 million was generated by Bayern from commercial um, activities in the 2021-22 season, which outstripped even Manchester City with their fake sponsorship of 316, comfortably above United at 258, well over the figure of 233 million generated by Liverpool. Mm. Um, And the bulk of that money actually is coming in from those very partners that you you touched on at the the start. You know, the your Adidas, your your Audi, um, you know, these one or two others, you know, um, Allianz. So that is a significant amount of revenue. And can you imagine if Liverpool entered into a long-term relationship with perhaps a Nike um, and, and perhaps renegotiated its um, deal? And if they especially had an ownership stake within Liverpool Football Club, it given a greater imperative, greater... Um, justification for investing significantly more into that um, current shirt sponsorship, the uh, kit sponsorship deal. Yeah, it, that's this is exactly it. There's there's just no circumstance under which Liverpool, with that type of model, wouldn't outstrip Bayern Munich because we are a a more popular global club than Bayern Munich. We just are. We are a more popular global club than Bayern. And look, Adidas and, and Nike are the big two, very much so. But Nike outstrip Adidas in terms of annual sales. So we'd have a stronger partner there, potentially, than Bayern do. You put AXA and Alliance head to head, I'd imagine they're similar enough. Yeah. Um, they've got Audi, we, we have, you know, that, that's an area we could look to to bring in a, a real partner as well as, you know, like a, a, one of the major car companies. But obviously the Germans have a huge advantage in, in that. So maybe we just leave that to them. We just keep Vauxhall or whatever, whoever we have. Well, but, that's where even a Jürgen Klopp could play his part, couldn't he? I mean, yeah. he's obviously one of, not, not only in footballing terms, but even in terms of just celebrity status. Um 
one of the most well-known Germans on the planet, isn't he? And, yeah, uh, and they've also got, remember, they've also got Unicredit, yeah. who are a major bank on their board as well. I, I didn't mention them, but Unicredit's still on their board as well. So mm. it might be that they have, like, five. Like, Standard Chartered are a bigger company, I, I think, I'm almost certain, than Unicredit, a bigger banking service than Unicredit. Yeah. So, like, with, with these type of partners, I just feel like this is the type of model that would satisfy most people. Now, look, I know there's issues with Standard Chartered and their practices, and I know there's issues that people have with AXA, and I fully back the issues people take with AXA. But I'm, I'm trying to look at, you know, what is the most what is the most palatable path for us to remain a competitive entity? Because FSG ownership is not a path that will keep us competitive. Because the game is changing and it's becoming an arms race. Yeah. Now, we can do it the right way. And perhaps there'll be new legislation that comes in that will send the Saudis and Abu Dhabi and all the rest scuttling home because they're no longer allowed to do the things they've been doing. But for us to do it the right way, we need to be more ambitious and we need to be braver. And FSG are not ambitious and they're not brave. John Henry, by his very nature, is not brave. That's you, you look at how he made his millions. He didn't make it through bravery. He made it through intelligence and being cautious. John mm. Henry is a very, very cautious man. You just need to look at the way he's run the Red Sox. But the Red Sox are a bit of a cautionary tale here. Now, a lot of the cry arsing from Red Sox fans is completely unwarranted. Since FSG bought the Boston Red Sox, they've won more World Series than anybody else. However, since the last one, it's become very clear that John Henry and his partners have maybe lost a little bit of their desire to win. And they've cut a lot of corners financially and scale things back significantly. And in some ways, they've almost bought the Red Sox full circuit back to where they were before they took over. Yeah. But it shouldn't be overlooked all the good that they did, just like whenever they leave Liverpool or whenever they sell a, a majority of Liverpool, whatever way they do it, it should never be overlooked that they did good at this club. But at the same time, one league title and one European Cup isn't enough for this club. Not in 12 years. I'm sorry. I don't want to hear about just fucking enjoy it or any of the rest of that crap. That's not acceptable for this club. I'm not asking them to win eight European Cups and nine league titles or anything ludicrous in a 12-year period. But, you know, there has to be a minimum standard that we, we accept at this club. This yeah, is the absolutely. most successful club in England. Shankly and Paisley built this club to win, to win relentlessly, mm. not to take part. This idea that getting to three Champions League finals is, is a great achievement is horseshit. Yeah. Because you lost two of them. If you'd won two of them, great. That would be like literally... If you got to 
three Champions League finals and won two of them. That is a success. Winning one is, of course, success. But winning two, winning three, winning one is better than losing five finals. It's a greater achievement than getting to five finals and losing them all. Ask Juventus, would they swap all of the finals they've lost since the last time they won it in the 90s for one win? Mm. Of course they would. Oh, yeah. Same goals with finishing second in the league. I'd rather win the league and then finish fourth for three years and then win it again and then finish fourth for three years than win it once and finish twice in a four-year period. Mm. Because winning is what matters. And I, I think ultimately, Dave, that's what a lot of people's issue is with FSG. You know, they don't show that real hunger, that determination as owners um, to ensure that their their asset remains on top. Um, and, and, I, and I think that I think that filters through the club. Yeah. And I think when you when you hear things like when Klopp says he'd forgotten about losing, he'd gotten over losing a Champions League final by the next morning. Mm. Like that to me is just tripe, utter tripe. Like when you look at, at the other great managers of the last 40 years, mm. they would have been devastated for years afterwards. It would have become their single biggest driving force, never wanting to feel that way again. Jürgen isn't built like that, and that's fine. That's fine. But if he's not built like that, the owners need to be, because they can drive him. But if the owners are very laid back about actually winning, and the manager's more about the journey than the destination... That, to me, is where you fall into a a bit of a trap, where success becomes a secondary thing. Well, uh, you know, the, the inconvenient truth about FSG is this, Dave. Um, they bought the club as an investment. That is on public record. And for that reason, the main drivers for them relate to finances. It, they relate to the worth of the company, the balance sheet, um, the profit and loss. And if there are trophies that are then achieved as part of the journey, great, it's a bonus. Um, whereas with other ownership groups, trophies are the be all and end all. And, mm. you know, no matter what people thought of Roman Abramovich, and obviously, you know, so the way in which he acquired his wealth, um, the way in which he ran Chelsea in certain respects, you know, clearly unpalatable in, in some ways, but, you know, he was someone who was hell bent on Chelsea being as successful as possible. And that is why, you know, they've averaged since, well, after he took over, or the period between him taking over and then um, selling the club, pretty much a trophy a season. Um, including multiple Premier Leagues, multiple European trophies, and obviously a whole bunch of domestic cups. And yes, you know, they, they had the, the odd season where, you know, they, they just had an absolute nightmare, but they went straight back. I mean, you just have to go back a few years to, when was it, 2015. Um, they won the Premier League uh, by a distance. 
they then slipped all the way towards it 12th in 2015-16 and bounced straight back with 93 points under Conte to win the Premier League title again the following season. Um, Only Chelsea could do that. And the reason that happened is because of the determination of the owner to say 12th is never acceptable for this club. I want to go completely all out to win that title again the very next season. He brought in about as good a manager as he could have in Conte. He won three or four um, back-to-back titles with Juventus by that point in time. He signed some great players and went from 12th all the way to first with a fantastic points uh, haul. And and again, that is something we simply don't see with FSG. We we see um, financial stability being the overriding objective where they are concerned. Uh, and that, again, is something that frustrates many fans, does it not? Yeah, it does massively. I mean, look, we would all look at this period under Jürgen and say he's done an incredible job. He's won a league title, a European Cup, an FA Cup, a League Cup, a Super Cup and a World Club Cup. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Chelsea's won all of them as well since Jurgen took over, except for the League Cup, but they won a Europa League instead, which is a more important trophy. So in actuality, over Jurgen's time at Liverpool, Chelsea have been more successful than us. Mm. Like, and they don't view that as a successful period because they have set themselves a higher standard. And since Jurgen's been at Liverpool, they've gone through Conte, Sarri, Lampard, Tuchel, and now Potter. This is their fifth manager. And given that, as we record, they're currently losing 1-0 at home to bottom club Southampton, uh, they may well be on to manager number six soon. But the fact is, they've won. They've been more successful over this period of time than us. And we've clearly had a far better manager. We just haven't had owners with the same type of ambition as they had. Now, again, there's, there's lots and lots of reasons to absolutely be appalled by Roman Abramovich and, you know, how he attained his wealth and by, you know, how they operate as a club and the the short-termism. But 
if you look around Europe, short-termism is what drives success. You know, what have you won for me lately is the mantra of the big clubs. It was at Milan when they dominated Europe. It was at Juve when they had great teams. It's always been that way at Real. It's largely been that way at Barca. It's that way at Bayern. I mean, Bayern Munich, a manager can win the double and get sacked. Oh, yeah. If you win the double at Liverpool, you're you're an immortal you know, like this is this is the difference. Like we need to have more ambition for what we are as a club. We, we can't just sit here and say, "Well, we won a league and an F, a, a league and a Champions League, so job done. We'll see you all again in twenty five years." That's just not that's just not how you stay at the top of the game, and and that's where this club deserves to be. That's where the men that built this club wanted this club to be and those in charge now owe the memories of those people of Shankly, of Paisley he's not dead but of Kenny they mm. owe them to make sure this club remains at the very top and you know the thing is with FSG it's always been about sell to buy and we know that it's always people can deny it all they want it's always been about sell to buy we and, would have and, won nothing under them if yeah. Phil Coutinho hadn't left. Yeah. But the problem is, Jurgen is the ideal manager to build a team on a budget. He's the ideal manager for it because he's patient, because he sees players in a different way, and he sees what they could be rather than what they are. Like, no yeah. one else was looking at Ginny Wijnaldum and thinking, you know what he is? He's actually a defensive midfielder. Yeah. I'm going to take that winger from Newcastle and I'm going to sit him as a defensive midfielder next to my six with a bit of freedom to get forward, but largely there for defensive purposes. Because I think in transition defense, he is going to be otherworldly. No one else saw that. Only him. Yeah. And that's where his real genius is. No one saw... Um, Lewandowski and thought this is going to be the best number nine in the world no one saw Lucas Pizjak who was a second striker and thought do you know what he'd be a really good right back no one saw these things only Jürgen yeah. the problem with Jürgen comes when you need to regenerate mm -hmm. Jürgen didn't want to sell Coutinho Jürgen tried everything to keep Coutinho at the club if he'd been successful we wouldn't have got Ali and we wouldn't have got Fab we would have ended up with Jack Butland. And yeah. Henderson would, would have been playing the number six the whole time. Because yeah. Emery left. And we yeah. wouldn't have won anything. Mm. When it came time to sell Sadio Mane, Jürgen held on to him two years too long. Jürgen's held on to Bobby too long. Jürgen has held on to Mo too long, in truth. Because if the model was the model, Mo would have been... Mane would have gone in 2020 and Mo would have gone in 2021 if the model was the model yeah that's what would have happened those two would have gone you, you would you would keep certain pillars like you would keep an Allison and you would keep a Virgil because those positions by their very nature sustain longer into a player's career than those more dynamic roles that Mo and 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 Sadio played Henderson would have been gone years ago. Fabinho would have been gone this past summer. Off the back of a really good season 
you'd have moved him out the door and you'd have brought in the next one. So whereas Jürgen's brilliant to build on a budget and he's obviously got a very clear desire of who he wants and what he wants around the club. So you can sell off fringe players like Adam Solanke and people like that. But he doesn't have that ruthless streak to tell a guy, you need to go. Like Divock should have been sold years ago. We lost him mm. on a free. Yeah. Jürgen doesn't have that. He, he gets too attached. And I think that's mm-hmm. in part why he's not. He's the ideal manager for FSG because he won't be demanding of them. But they're also great owners of him because they're not too demanding of him. We need some sort of conflict there where we have owners who demand a little bit more of Jürgen in terms of ruthlessness and in terms of just that single-minded desire to go and win, not enjoy the journey. Fuck the journey. It's where you end up. That's what really matters is where you end up. And And I do think that's something we need in new owners. And that's part of the added frustration with some of the recent changes is that, you know, there was that counterbalance to Jürgen's loyalty um, and lack of ruthlessness in a sporting director. And yet um, when he tried to be objective um, in terms of management, he was overruled. You know, we have to look back to um, about, well, close to 18 months ago now when uh, there were reports linking a certain Jordan Henderson with um, PSG and uh, another top club. I can't remember which one and um, obviously fabricated. And um, that then led to the player eventually um, signing a contract extension for close to around 200,000 a week. Plus Uh, bonuses. Exactly. Um, Bonuses on top. And then merely weeks later, it was uh, revealed that the sporting director um, was to leave at the end of the season. Uh, no coincidence. Any No coincidence around that whatsoever, Dave. Um, I think it was very clear from you know subsequent reports, multiple reports that have come out um, that since then that um, you know the sporting director um, had a certain plan for Jordan Henderson, the manager overrule that and uh, got his way and um, you know clearly the uh, sporting director in Michael Edwards felt that 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 was undermining his work and his role and felt that he could no longer continue at the club and um, there's clearly been an erosion of that kind of separation of duties Mm. Um, and and again that that is something that potential new owners um, whether it's an individual or a consortium, will ultimately have to address because, you know, it's so widely talked about and has been since not only last summer, but even potentially the summer before that, summer 2021, that um, there needed to be um, a larger overhaul of the squad um, than perhaps Jürgen thought and has felt um, is needed and has been needed. And, you know, you just have to look at the age profile and, you know, even certain metrics, the fact that, you know, we season on season have been running less per game um, since about 16, it was about 17, 18. Um, and that clearly has some link to the age profile increasing year on year 
because of the fact that we're retaining more and more players into their 30s. And uh, it's a clear link there, which which Jürgen, I think, um, has struggled to you know, arguably accept. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, the, the one pu- pushing for a Bobby Firmino extension is once again Jürgen, mm. you know. And, and it's not a surprise that Julian Ward is leaving. No, no, it's not. And it's not a coincidence that Julian Ward is leaving. And he's not leaving to go and spend time with his family. He's leaving to take another job. And he's got Ajax interested in him. And if yeah. Ajax are interested in him, I think the cardinal rule is that's then he's fairly good at what he does. But he's been marginalised very clearly. And it's clear that Michael Edwards left because of conflict with one or two individuals, one of whom was the manager. And Mm. unfortunately, when you allow your manager that level of power, it generally doesn't end well in modern football. Because he's not Alex Ferguson, and he's not Wenger, and it's not those eras. And by the way, when Wenger got all the power at Arsenal, Arsenal didn't win any major trophies. Once David Dean left and Wenger had more and more say, Arsenal were limited to winning a few cups. And that's what's going to happen to us, except it's going to be harder now because Newcastle have real money. So you've got, and and City have real money. So you've got potentially United. If United are bought by Qatar, you've got United City and Newcastle will leave everybody else in the dust. And it's going to be us, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham competing for fourth every year. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, we know that um, Tottenham are for sale. I mean, Mm. the Enoch have not come out and publicly stated as such. We we know that they've had offers and, uh, you know, they privately have been, um, you know, welcoming interest in in the club. And, you know, again, if if, um, a group, an individual, even a nation with um, sizable wealth looks at that club, they'll look at you know, a club with perhaps the best stadium in the Premier League, fantastic state-of-the-art training facilities. Yeah. Uh, the fact it's in London, um, it's got everything going for it. And it, it's um, got, you know, all, all the kind of component parts that are required to turn it into a complete and utter powerhouse. And again, that is a great project for people with unlimited wealth. And even Arsenal, I mean, you know, Granted, the Cronkies don't have the wealth of, um, you know, some of the own, other owners, owners within the Premier League. They have moved away from that self-sustaining financial model to invest their own money into Arsenal and have invested significant sums in the last four or five years. And, you know, Arsenal clearly are not um, an elite football club at, at this stage, but they are performing significantly better than they had in, in the latter days of Wenger. And, you know, it's fairly clear that a lot of that is down to the fact that um, they have invested significant sums in bringing players in. I mean, the hit rate clearly hasn't been exceptional, but, you know, through trial and error, you know, they have brought in some you know very good players. And, you know, that is part of the reason why they've been in the title challenge this season. And we haven't. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And, um, and unfortunately, it's. It's a little bit difficult to see under FSG how we would get ourselves back 
into that type of of sphere with those those clubs that are going to spend more money than us, which is why I think if if they're going to stay, they need to look at something like that suggestion I laid out where they bring in outside investment and in in the form of a, a H, HBSE and more importantly partnerships with companies like Nike, Standard Chartered AXA and Expedia where they buy into the club and now it's in their best interests for Liverpool to flourish and yeah. now you're they're, they're behind the commercial push because what did you say Bayern were currently earning 330 million or some something like that yeah, three twenty and twenty one twenty two from three twenty. There's no reason a club like Liverpool couldn't push towards the four hundred million mark. Mm. There's no reason. And what, what Liverpool at the moment is two hundred and eighty? Did you say? Uh, no, two hundred and thirty three. So that's let let's be conservative and say Liverpool pushed to three fifty. That's almost one hundred and twenty million a year extra. Well, you put that money into the squad, you give Jurgen every summer, you give him 120 million and say, go and buy your two best, your two favorite 60 million pound players or or an 80 and a 40 or 120, yeah. uh, you know, a starter and a squad player. That will make all the difference to us as a club. That mm. really will make all the difference to us. But we need to have a more ruthless approach to players who age. There is no excuse for the contract given to Henderson at all. And we're 18 months, just over 18 months into it, and it's already been an unmitigated disaster. And he's not going to get better. He's going to get to get worse. And I know that doesn't seem possible based on how he's played the last 18 months, but he will get worse. And we're still going to be paying him 200 grand a week, all because Jürgen is too loyal, all because Jürgen is too concerned with harmony, and the journey. Mm. So we need someone who will butt heads with Jurgen. Because when Jurgen was at Dortmund, Michael Zork butted heads with him all the time. Yeah. And it's why they have such high respect for each other. It's why I've suggested that what I would like to see us do is replace Mike Gordon with Michael Zork as like a president of football operations with a sporting director below him. So your chain of command, rather than Jürgen just going straight over the head of the sporting director, have the two of them on the same kind of level, both reporting to Michael Zork. And Zork yeah. has kind of a casting vote on things like a contract contract extension for a Bobby Firmino and stuff like that. But we, we should probably wrap up because the game starts in 15 minutes and, um, yeah, I, I just think I think there is a way for us to not be a sports washing vehicle, which I think will satisfy most people, but also become a club that can compete financially with the rest, even if we don't have their, shall we call them, external sources of investment. We will have yeah. internal sources of investment who can keep us at a competitive level with them. Yeah, completely. I, th I think one thing is absolutely clear. Um, 
do nothing is simply not an option. The status quo is simply not viable. There has to be some form of change. FSG simply cannot continue to operate in the way that they are. And we've already seen some of the results of that um, in the transfer window just gone and last summer, where on both occasions, um, some very clear and much needed business that needed to be done wasn't done. It wasn't obviously all down to them as owners. Um, a lot of that was also down to the manager too. Mm. Uh, but collectively between them, um, you know, that they've allowed the club um, to fall behind when a year or two ago, they really should have built from a position of strength and ensure that, um, you know, there was that turnover. But we are where we are. And let's hope that we see some positive developments on the ownership front um, in the next uh, few weeks and months so that when we come into the period for the transfer window this coming summer, um, we are equipped to get the business done that we need to. And clearly there is a fair amount of business to do. But Dave, I think uh, we've been around the houses and then some, and uh, certainly um, your suggestion is, is a very interesting one. And Hopefully, uh, we'll create um, some good debate and discussion amongst um, our listeners, including on within our Discord community as well. Um, so, uh, before we wrap up, Dave, um, what have you got coming up uh, this this coming week? Um, have the usual two-footed and daily red every day. There's an old school with gags on Monday. There'll be a scouted with Carl for Real Madrid. We'll record that Monday as well. And... Just, yeah, raw after the games as well, obviously. So, yeah, just, just, well, there'll be plenty. There'll be plenty coming. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you love your uh, Dave fix, then, you know, you, you'll be plenty taken care of in the, in the coming days. I'll be back um, in the next couple of weeks, all being well, um, when Liverpool finally reveal their full accounts for 2021-22. So there'll be some interesting stuff um, coming out of those. Um, but until next time, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.